I don't really use my personal Facebook for much. Like I don't post photos of my family and share life updates, although I interact with a lot of friends who do. Generally, I post only one thing on Facebook, and that's essays, what I would call essays, little social media-sized essays that deal with a social or political subject, and most often I do so in preparation for this podcast. Like I might have emotions about the subject we're discussing, so I try to write out my thoughts in as dispassionate and analytical a way as I can muster. I then hope for feedback from others who might give me more perspective and maybe respond to something that I've written in particular. Now, maybe I'm missing something. Maybe there's another side to this that raises a good point. My theory is that I can bring those new insights into this podcast and have a more nuanced view of a subject before we begin. Of late, though, that seems to occur less and less often. Now there are two kinds of reactions to these posts. Either, yes, I agree with everything you've said, or no, you're wrong about this because Justin Trudeau is the son of Fidel Castro and is controlled by the lizard people and is bent on enslaving Canadians and one day is going to turn us all into Soylent Green. Like the middle ground or even the rational ground where conversations can take place appears to be rapidly disappearing. I'm Eric Bowman, I'm the communications person at the Canadian Psychological Association, and this is Mindful. Our guest today is the author of a new book called Emotions Don't Think, Emotional Contagion in a Time of Turmoil. He suggests that a lot of the divisions we see around us today are at least partly due to emotional contagion, the notion that we can kind of catch the emotions of our in-group, which then radicalizes us further and so on. He goes on to propose thought as a kind of antidote. Even a few seconds of thought after the recognition of our emotional state can have a very strong effect on our subsequent behavior. Joining me as a co-host today is the CPA's membership and development lead, Catherine McLaren, who brings a specific perspective. She saw firsthand the emotional contagion of the convoy that op occupied Ottawa last year and experienced some of the phenomenon herself as a result. Now let's meet our guest. Well, I'm Dr. Bruce Hutchison. I'm a retired clinical psychologist uh, turned author. And um, I worked as a clinical psychologist for uh, 55 zero years in Winnipeg, Edmonton, and in Ottawa. And uh, so I retired uh, during the pandemic. And uh, I was planning on retiring then anyway, but uh, happened to come along at that time. So uh, anyway, I had to extend my my practice for a couple of months because I was uh, it, it couldn't just stop just like that because people wanted to come back and and see me for a while so I I did it for a couple of more months yeah I've had experiences in many different situations in mental health settings and private practice and prisons and social agencies for the disabled and so on so I've had a a good well-rounded experience including 30 years in hospital settings and in psychiatric wards I like to use my experience and now that I'm retired I have time to write so I decided to write the book Emotions Don't Think so, you know, I've been told I was a good writer all along. I've written many, many different reports, published a little bit, not too much. So I thought I'd put pen to paper and see what I'd come up with. And lo and behold, a book came out. <laughs> and your book, you were talking a little bit about your career there. Your book opens with a little history of your career. I see that you started in rural Manitoba. What does that mean? Where in rural Manitoba did you start out? Well, I started out for a year as a welfare worker before I became I went into psychology. And then I worked it up in um, 
the indigenous people. That was in uh, the Pine Falls area of Manitoba, northeast of Winnipeg. And then after that, I went and studied psychology. That was a year break between my master's and my BA I had taken before that. So, yeah, and then I worked later on in, in the rural in rural mental health in Manitoba in the Gladstone Portage La Prairie area uh, for another year or so. Yeah, I've had those experiences. They were important to develop in my life. And uh, so I'm glad I had those experiences. Well, we have a sort of recurring theme on this podcast here, and that is you worked in Portage La Prairie, right? Directly between Winnipeg and Brandon. Uh, yeah. The recurring theme is, is Brandon rural? No, of course not. It's an <laughs> urban city. <laughs> I have to ask, where did that come from? Who's discussing uh, that? To be frank, it first came up from my father. My father is uh, with Statistics Canada Agriculture Division and grew up in near Brandon uh, oh, yeah. in a town called Moline that no longer exists. It was so small. And okay. uh, so went to university in Brandon, and his definition of rural changes on occasion, depending on whether we're talking about proximity to certain services or population density and that sort of thing. And so every time we have somebody on who's worked in Manitoba, I ask the question, do you consider Brandon to be rural? It's uh, This is my own imperial study with uh, very anecdotal responses. Well, we have to look up and see what the definition of rural and urban is. I'm not a sociologist, so we'd have to ask somebody from that field or to help us with that or, and perhaps geography. But, uh, yeah, that's interesting. My definition is if a place has a hockey team, that means they're not rural. That's an I always way. define it on how far you have to drive to get good coffee. Oh, <laughs> that's a good point, too. Yeah, right on. Do well, they have I a Tim know. Hortons, right? <laughs> Exactly. I don't know if you can get a good coffee at a Wheat Kings game, but uh, I think we've settled the question here. That's excellent. Emotional contagion. And this is what your book is about. This is what we're talking about. And you're referencing it specifically in a time of turmoil, which is certainly what we're all going through right now. And the turmoil is partly caused by the pandemic. It's partly caused by political divisions and social media. So I want to the first question I really want to ask is, is there a distinction to be made between emotional contagion? And let me just preface this by giving you the definition that I see in my head of emotional contagion. I think of it in the way that a yawn is contagious in a room. Somebody yawns and you see them. And for whatever reason, that makes you yawn as well. And then when you're yawning, you actually do feel tired, even if you didn't 30 seconds earlier before that other person yawned. It's like that only with emotions like happiness, excitement, or anger, or sadness, or that sort of thing. It, is that a reasonably accurate definition of emotional contagion, certainly within a group that is currently sitting together in the same place at the same time? Yeah, well, I think it comes close. The distinction might be that when you're yawning, when someone else yawns, you're aware that you're yawning, it's conscious. Whereas with emotional contagion, you may not know that you're absorbing someone's emotions. You may not be conscious of that. It can be a subconscious or unconscious phenomenon. Plus, it can happen over social media and video. So I don't know if one of you were to yawn, if I were to yawn as well. So I don't know if anyone's ever studied the contagious effect of yawning on media. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Has anyone studied this over Zoom? I don't want to do it now because I don't want us all to be tired during the interview. But toward the end, we'll see if it works. Okay. <laughs> My dad will be tired. Yeah. 
But I know laughing certainly can be contagious over social media or video. And a lot of this has been already defined in, in research. So we know that those are phenomenon that are, are experimental, shown to be true. And uh, that's uh, very, very well known now. And uh, so we can think about emotional contagion as something that is a legitimate expression. It's, it's, it's legitimate. It really happens. It's not just like someone's imagination that we think it happens. But emotions can be passed on and via social networks, have long-term effects, be passed on online. And even if there's no nonverbal cues there, you can still pass it on. And we know that, you know, social media is a factor. We know that emotions can be seen in situations where there's, you know, um, expression that comes from the voice. It comes through mimicking people. Emotions are expressed through words, through the nonverbal part of the voice and through gestures, but mostly through the voice. As our voices go up and down or speak fast or slow, that conveys emotions. People may not be aware of that as they're feeling it. Whereas with a yawn, you can be aware, well, that person's yawning, I'll yawn too. It might be subconscious sometimes, you know, but people would, you could easily point that out. Oh yeah, that was yawning because he was yawning or she was yawning. But people are not going to be so easy to, to acknowledge or admit that they're feeling happy because someone else was happy. Or they're feeling depressed because someone else was depressed around them. And so, yeah, but certainly it does rub off. Emotions rub off on people. And the way that this seems to happen, and you mentioned on social media, within social networks and that sort of thing, I'm wondering if the algorithm that amplifies certain content on social media, and this has been discussed ad nauseum for years, right? The mm -hmm. idea that the more angry you are when you post, the more sad you are, the more you appeal to the emotions of the people who may be viewing your post on social media, the more it gets shared, the more it gets interacted with, the more people pay attention to it. Is that algorithm really just a way to increase emotional contagion or social contagion, I think would be the more appropriate word in this case. Well, it depends how you define the algorithm and uh, what it means. And um, it's, it's hard when we're talking about processes and experiences to look at an algorithm. I don't take a intellectual approach or scientific approach like that, but I'm not anti-scientific, of course. But, you know, because research and science is important, but so are theories and, you know, ideas. And so that's all important in things. I guess we're in a, almost in an algorithm pandemic these days with all the various algorithms and, and AI coming up. And now we have, what is it, uh, the, the chat stuff or CRT, I forget what it's called. So it's concerning for people. I call a situation an emotional pandemic in the sense that we've got people who are flying high with emotions left, right, and center. And so as a result of that, we're seeing issues coming up in society. Politics has emotions involved in it. It always did, but now it's stronger. And people can kind of express emotions and can catch emotions through emotional contagion. And to me, it's becoming a serious problem. It's not just an incidental thing because, you know, you see what's going on as the upsurge happens in society. We have events occurring. We have mass shootings. We have all these different movements like cancel culture and wokeism and so on, all of which have emotional concomitants to them. Populism is, is has an emotional concomitant to it. But 
the sociologists and political scientists don't define the emotional part of it, and uh, psychologists have not been out there publicizing this either. I wanted to do that and get this across to people. You, you can't think with your emotions because emotions don't think. I like the premise of that, right? That emotions don't think, but clearly we very much behave based on the emotions that we have. And I was hoping we could uh, start here with a example that's close to home. You're in Ottawa right now, Dr. Hutchison. We're in Ottawa. And Catherine, we were talking about this before we invited Dr. Hutchison to be on this podcast, which was the convoy that came to Ottawa, which started with a emotional contagion online, a social contagion. And then once the people were actually here in Ottawa, the group that formed you, if you talk to those people after the fact, they're able to ignore all of the detrimental effects that happened as a result of the convoy to tell us that it was the most joyous, inclusive, wonderful experience that had ever taken place in the history of Canada. And so, Catherine, I know you and your fiancé, Kyle, have been talking about this quite a bit. What are your thoughts on the way that that transpired and certainly from being able to observe it directly from your house. So Dr. Hutchinson, for your reference, I live right downtown Ottawa on Bank and Gladstone. So just outside of what we defined as the red zone for, um, you know, the purposes of chatting about the convoy. That was within walking distance of my office. And when I had an office in downtown Ottawa, yeah. Okay, yeah. So also still within walking distance of the CPA office, which is a pretty nice benefit for me when we're going into the office right exactly exactly yeah can't cannot complain about living downtown except for for a few months last year (laughs) so eric and i were speaking about kind of how that that emotional fire really took hold of folks that were downtown particularly folks who really entrenched themselves in in the downtown core that kind of feeling of anger and resentment and fear and how yeah. even those of us who were very separate from that group by being in their vicinity really experienced those same feelings. For example, Mm -hmm. my grocery store was right in Convoy Central. So to go and access groceries, uh, we had to walk through everything that was happening downtown. My friends lived in Convoy Central. So, you know, I would I would go down, pick them up outside their door and we would go to groceries together because living across the road from the, the kind of heat and heart of it all was pretty, um, it was disquieting. To say of the course, least. of course, of course. Yes, yes, yes. I know. I, I wasn't there. I, I avoided the downtown area at that time. Smart. I had already retired. So, but goodness, my goodness. Certainly, I was aware that there was a lot of emotional contagion going on there. People, you know, are, are behaving in a similar way. They're mimicking each other. They're expressing themselves with their voice. Emotions come from their voice. Contagion comes from mimicking each other. And they're all dressed similarly and behaving similarly. And I can imagine from their perspective, it must have been a good time from that for them. People I talked with, you know, friends and colleagues would say that, yes, it's a peaceful situation. People are enjoying themselves. On the other hand, it was risky. It was confrontational at times. And uh, my wife being a true Ottawan, I've only lived here for eight, nine years. She's lived here all her life. Decided she would take part in the Billingsbridge uh, battle, Battle of Billingsbridge. Did you hear yep. about that? 
Yeah, I yeah. did. Yeah, I participated in the protest on Elgin. So on the same 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 weekend, okay. uh, we were turning vehicles away from Elgin Street as well. Oh, cool! Good for yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. The power of the citizens. It has to yeah. be. Important. And there would have been some emotional contagion there between the participants who would take part in that. You know, power of the crowds. Lebon talked about that many many years ago, decades ago how the um, the emotions move through the crowds. But they didn't call it emotional contagion there. But my concern is that that's a time that people need to be thinking at the same time. Certainly, emotions are valuable and important, and they give us the joy of life, but they can also be very dangerous. You know, I say in my book that emotional contagion is one of the most powerful experiences in society, even the most dangerous if you look at all the millions of people who have died in wars. And most wars are caused by emotions because we identify with our land, our property, our country, our region, and that's an emotional experience. You know, even as I'm talking, someone here is wearing a Green Bay's hat, right? I could put my Blue Jays hat on if I wanted to, right? And we talk about that. We These give us joy in life, and it's important. But when we get confronted, our emotions can go high, as we know, and they can spread. Now, my point here is that since psychologists know how to regulate and manage emotions, why can't we teach this to society? And I don't know if they want people out there want to learn. There's ways that we can help people do that by modulating their emotions. And the first rule in, in, in this is to be aware of this, because if you're aware of it while it's happening, then you know that, hey, maybe I better not use that emotion as a reference point to base my actions on or my opinion on, unless I've thought it through first, not automatically. You know, it's, I, I say that people have an automatic absorption ability where they can automatically absorb their emotions, emotions of others, so automatically they don't think about it, they just react. But let's think about it now for a few seconds. Thinking doesn't take long. It just takes a few more seconds. So if I talk more slowly, even though you may not notice it, it can affect my ability to think as I'm speaking. And so why can't just slowing down, as we know, from um, you know doing psychotherapy with people will help them relax. If we catch them where they're at and then we wind them down slowly by mimicking, modeling that behavior, then they are more likely to follow us. So is there a way we can do that in, in with these people who are protesting or, you know, um, yelling or making a lot of noise? Start where they're at somehow. And, and But that would be difficult to do. How would we do that kind of thing? We have knowledge, but we can't necessarily use it. We can't go out there and talk to people on the streets and start to do therapy or counseling with them because that would be against our ethics, right? Mm -hmm. So right. it gives us a, a problem. And I think one of the big issues there is that how do you do it en masse, right? Yeah. It's one thing to talk one-on-one -on -one with a person and maybe you can convince them that they're reacting emotionally to a situation and maybe they don't have all the facts, but you certainly can't do that to a crowd. I suppose you could if you were the right person, um, but... Uh, to do that, you have to wear a uniform and carry a hockey stick. Um, but, you know, because there's ways to get the crowd's attention, but I don't know how to do that as a psychologist. You're right. It certainly is very difficult to to do that. But maybe if we taught some skills to people who are in that position, 
whether that be politicians or, or even uh, people in, in, in crowd control. And maybe we already do that. I'm not aware of that. But um, I wouldn't be surprised. I know some of my colleagues have worked in this area. I have a colleague who used to be a police psychologist who worked on crowds using his knowledge from psychology to do crowd management. And I know police departments have psychologists as consultants. And so there's ways that this can be done, but I don't see it happening very much, that's for sure. And I think I think we're getting further and further away from that. I see now, I mean, political parties now, if you look at the conservative platform on Twitter, it's basically here's today's reason why you should hate Justin Trudeau and right. And then the yeah. right, the liberal position on Twitter is look how badly Pierre Polliver's behaving in question period. There isn't a lot of policy anymore. And I feel like we're drifting further and further away from structured policies being the backbone of a political movement into, you know, identity politics and sort of besmirching the people on the other side because they realize that this is what gets their base riled up. This is what gets people talking on social media mm-hmm. and not to dwell too, too long on the convoy, but I mean, Catherine, you're saying you had to go get friends. You walk through that crowd to get to the grocery store so that your friend can do groceries, get back home. And in doing so you're passing by these people who are, you know, experiencing this, collective anger and and so on. Did you feel like there was any reason to be interacting with those people? Were they, were they going to be receptive if you presented any other viewpoint while you were going through? No, it strikes me that the skills that Dr. Hutchin was talking about being able to identify those, the, to notice when emotional contagion is happening to you actually would have been one of my most valuable assets during that time because when walking through those crowds, I found myself becoming a bad version of me, a version of myself that I didn't like and didn't want to be because you're you're so frightened. You're so surrounded by this fear and this anger and this hate and being a woman who clearly doesn't relate to their cause based on the way that I dress, the way I present myself, the fact that I was often wearing a mask, the fact that I often wear pride insignia on my person. I was clearly not aligned with their values. And that resulted in lots of catcalling, lots of bullying, lots of derogatory slurs and terms used towards me, towards my friends. And I just got mad. Like I I became what I didn't want to be. I was angry. I would swear at strangers. Like you, you see yourself being caught up in these things, and and then you get home and you decompress and and you're like, oh, I'm so embarrassed. I can't believe I just like swore at somebody I've never seen before. Like exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And what if you were in the U.S. and somebody around you had a gun? Yeah. 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 That's how these things happen. It was it was quite something to walk down the street to be catcalled. I remember at one point oh, a friend God. and I we seeked out help help from the police because we were being followed for blocks by men that were filming us and catcalling us. So we asked for help from the police, and they said we can't get involved. Just you were being filmed. Oh, absolutely, yeah. So, on Bank Street? No, on Elgin Street, coming down like walking okay. away from the oh, Rio still, Center. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Wow. Oh my God. So 
it was, but yeah, you, to be caught up in that emotional contagion, to Mm -hmm. think about the line, emotions don't think in the context of the convoy was a pretty interesting thought exercise for me to go through since Eric and I started talking about this podcast and since I started looking into some of your writings, Dr. Hutchinson, to really reflect on, on seeing myself be caught up in that and thinking of, you know, the skills that could help me not get caught up in that in the future. One of the aspects you could have as a thought then is if they're filming you, well, so what? Yeah. 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 Who cares? Good point. Because nothing came of it. Yeah. If you're not doing anything wrong, how can they use it in a bad way? They're thinking bad things about you. They're trying to get you in committing a crime or something, which you're not going to do. So no problem. No problem. I think people automatically would react in a, in a negative way to that, though. That's why I say is a lot of this is kind of automatic. But there's, yeah. a, there's a belief in there somewhere that filming me is a bad thing. Well, I, and I think a lot of that, too, right, is that somebody is trying to film you because they're trying to make you angry enough that you do something Ooh. that they can then catch on film, right? Good and this point. is kind of and this is kind of where I'm going with this this division that we have now so often the goal of somebody on social media or even in person, I think a lot of the goal of the convoy was to make people who believe differently angry. Yeah. And a lot of what we see now posting elsewhere is you don't agree with my side. I don't really care about my side. What I care about is you being upset at the things that I say or that I do. Right. Yeah. And I'm wondering if that is in a sense, the, the next evolution of emotional contagion where you've lost sight of the actual thing you thought you believed in and really now just believe in upsetting people. Yeah, people can use emotional contagion in a negative way by realizing this happens and then someone could say, aha, I'm going to catch Catherine and doing something bad here, filming film it and I'm going to send it to the head office of CPA and she'll have her license revoked and that will be the end of her career, right? So... Someone could think those nasty thoughts, it probably never happened, and even if it did, you know, I don't think that would result in any bad things occurring, but that's what the perpetrator might think. And so they're using emotional contagion against us in a way, and we're kind of stuck in that, aren't we? Because as people, we just kind of go with our flow and kind of react automatically. We don't want to be on guard all the time. We want to be spontaneous and enjoy things. So it puts us on catch-22. It's a good point. Yeah. Have you looked into, do people talk about emotional contagion in a happier sense, in a positive sense, like sure. crowds of music festivals, experiences like that? Oh, sure. Of course. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, positive emotions are very important and, and they give us joy. They give us excitement. They give us thrills. We go to concerts uh, quite regularly and we enjoy it and the feelings go on pretty strong all around us. And that's great. It's good to have those feelings. But still, you have to be kind of aware of what's going on, where you are, who's who's around you, what are they doing, are they drunk, are they whatever. So we have to always be aware of these things. Kind of a moderate way of doing things, you know, you have to kind of be in both sides at once. Yeah, we were talking a little bit before this podcast, you and I, Dr. Hutchison, about emotional contagion in a positive sense when it came to things like sports. Uh, yeah. And currently, we're talking about uh, the hockey playoffs are going on. I did promise you I wouldn't talk about any Leaf losses, so I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to talk about Florida Panthers wins. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> but, 
And, and this is something that I, I see, and we see it a lot, especially in hockey. Hockey, more than any other sport, a number eight seed beats a number one seed in the first round way more often than happens in other sports. The Boston Bruins were the best regular season team in the history of hockey, got knocked out in the first round by the Panthers, who are running with that emotion, carrying it through to the second round, it seems. Is that an example of emotional contagion, where winning breeds more winning, where it the team rallies around each other in a different way than the opposing team has? Well, I think that's true. And I think that's a, a good point that that actually happens. I have a theory, though. I don't know what, what research would say about it or if it's even been done. But then when people move their bodies around faster, they're going to be more emotional. And so, you know, you have, hockey is a fast game. So you'd have to compare it to basketball, which is also a fast game, but a little bit slower because there's no skates and they don't have as far to go. And C has a similar thing happened in that game as well over the years because they have a similar format in playoffs. If it happens in the same way, then that would nullify my theory. But my theory goes along the lines of hockey players are so fast, emotions go so fast, there's no time to think. They go with their emotions. They they, they get angry, they they get uh excited and and they want to do things. They want and and they're moving their bodies so fast, they want to score. And they want to check. Someone gets in the way, they're going to be angry, and they're going to get in that guy's way. So it's a more emotional game, I think, which which is why, you know, I think Florida has a good chance to win. My theory is that when there's more pressure on one side, then the Yerkes Dodson law says that the emotion at that time, the arousal, what they say itself is going to be defeating. You can't think at the same time that you're having all this arousal and all this emotion because uh, you're so desperate and you don't have the time to even think it through. Meanwhile, the other team, which has less pressure on themselves, people in Florida don't really care so much. So they want to win and they get all excited and everything, but they're not going to be as as uh, hyper about it as we are in Canada. So they have that going for them. And we've got good hockey players on that team. They're going to do a good job in scoring and uh, they get excited, but uh, they can keep it keep it under control, under wraps. And I think emotions are very important in, in, in hockey, maybe even less so in baseball because it's a, a slower game, more intellectually uh, focused. Baseball has time to think and and, um, and plan things, and they have all these different rules and rituals. And, um, well, and I think, too, in, in baseball, in a seven-game series, a lot of it depends on what pitchers are pitching on a given day, Every game becomes different for that reason. Uh, We have just a little bit less than five minutes left now. So I wanted to close with this, which is what are some of the strategies that you recommend for people to be more aware of their own capacity for emotional contagion? When I read something online that makes me really angry, how do I process that in a way that doesn't you know, create more anger within me? When I see something happening outside, over which I have no control, but that saddens me or upsets. How do I deal with that? What's a good approach for regular people to, you know, deal with this uh, issue? As I said before, first of all, be aware of it, that you have these emotions and ask yourself, do I really want to get that emotional? Is it reasonable to get that emotional over this situation? Um, You know, and is it okay? Is it socially sanctioned? And you can tell what's going on by your environment around you is are there police around or not and that can help you understand is it too emotional are you too much 
getting too too involved with it or not. Being aware of yourself and in, in your environment is very important and, and uh, to pace yourself and be aware of things. And then ask yourself, what kind of language is going through your mind? Okay, are you starting to feel like swearing? And do you want to swear? Is it okay? Can you swear in a reasonable way or not? Who are you going to be swearing at? And what, how are they going to react? Swearing words are usually going to, you know, be triggering somebody else. In my book, I write about uh, the emotional ping pong game. People have been playing emotional ping pong for years. It's back and forth with retorts, quick retorts. You know, who's going to win this argument? I'm going, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right, I'm right. So so it doesn't matter who's right. It's just an interesting thing that you're discussing. Okay? It doesn't prove that you're some kind of hero or smart guy if you win this argument. And if you think you're losing the argument, that makes you a loser. Then you've got more problems there. So just watch your thoughts there. You know, the cognitive approach is very important that way. So that you can uh, make sure that your thoughts are reasonable functional, helpful, and they're not going to be getting you in trouble uh, in some ways. Because the thoughts can be so detrimental and they can trigger off difficult behaviors. I remember a long time ago, my wife and I were in Britain on a subway and uh, the train came to a halt at a, at a stop and uh, it started to be a riot going on. I didn't know where we were, but uh, I didn't know what they were doing, why they were upset, why they were rioting. but. Our best decision was, we're going to leave right away. I'm from Canada. I don't know what's going on. I'm getting out of here. So my wife and I found the next stairs, and bingo, we were gone. So right away, we're not going to get pulled into it, right? And even if it was in Canada, I wouldn't get pulled into it. It's not worth it. It's a momentary thing. I think that people who have ongoing issues and grudges and, and so on are likely to get pulled into this kind of thing. People want to prove themselves a big, strong he-man or whatever. Uh, they, they can get pulled into it. So that's why protests are important, because protests are more organized. You have a crowd. You know, you have slogans. Uh, you have a leader. Uh, you have an agenda. You have plans of how you're going to handle things. That's what's the, the validity of protests. You can find Dr. Hutchison's book at a few local bookstores throughout Canada and can order it online, of course, at the link in the show notes. Thanks to Dr. Hutchison for taking the time to speak with us today, and thanks to you at home for downloading, streaming, reviewing, interacting with our content in whatever way you do that. Mindful is written and published by me, Eric Bowman. Today's hosts were me and Catherine McLaren. Our producer and editor is Jamie Montgomery, and our theme music is Avenues by David Taylor.